0: is a celebration that happens on uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, but really it, it's a whole season in the Christian calendar and it goes for many weeks after. So we've been um, prolonging, uh, not really prolonging, but diving into uh, Easter and the resurrection of our, of our Savior and looking at what the risen uh, for us, in our daily lives for this last several weeks. And today, uh, we finish with the ascension. Uh, The Ascension happens um, 40 days after, after Jesus um, was resurrected. And if you have um, your Bibles, please open them. If you want to use your phone, uh, the Bible on your phone, that is great too. We have sermon notes that are at the the music stand at the back or Alliance.info has sermon notes there. You can uh, write in, uh, type in with your thumbs and email it to yourself or you can use your pen on the paper and write there. Uh, so I just wanted like to read um, two of the passages on the Ascension, just so that we are reminded of what this means for us. And the Ascension is, um, you know, we like to follow the church calendar um, off and on, kind of throughout the year. We always celebrate celebrate Advent and the coming and the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ. And then um, throughout the year, there are different uh, special Sundays. And Easter, of course, is a big special Sunday. Uh, sometimes the baptism of Jesus is something we focus on here. And having a church calendar is really good for us. It gets us into a rhythm. It helps us to focus on Jesus. And, and then we, we circle back again and again year after year. And if you're like me, I think you need you need that help to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And so um, Father's Day this year happens to be Trinity Sunday. And so we will be celebrating the Trinity on Father's Day. And there's always a video, you know, for Father's Day and, and Mother's Day. But having the church calendar in front of us has been used for years. And- and Centuries is very helpful for us. So today is uh, Ascension Sunday. Next week will be Pentecost and then the Trinity Sunday, and then we'll get into our summer series. I just want to make a little announcement here too. In the summer, starting first Sunday in July, there will be Sunday school for um, preschool all the way up um, to grade six, every Sunday, all summer. So we weren't able to to do that last year, but this year we can. And so just parents, if you if you're wondering about that, and our services will be uh, down to an hour. So that's starting the first Sunday in July. And um, anyways, this will take us to our summary series. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, uh, Psalm 47, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, or Luke 24, 44 to 53 are some of the common passages that are read on this day. So let us read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bibles, please follow along. If not, then just listen as I read. Actually, we'll start with Luke first, Luke chapter uh, 24, verses 44 to fifty-three. He said to them, this is Jesus, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up. Into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote uh, Acts of the Apostles, and so Luke continues his story in Acts. If you just want to flip over to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Can you picture that? Jesus is taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They're standing there. What is going on? And then all of a sudden, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. This is what we refer to as the ascension of the Lord. Like, What is the ascension? And why is it all that important? If you grew up in a tradition, of a Christian tradition from similar to mine, we didn't talk about the Ascension at all. And I have a textbook that I used at Bible College. It has over 1,300 pages. And two pages out of over 1,000 pages talk about the Ascension. But as you saw in the video, if you're reading along, and those quotes are on the back of your sermon notes, by the way. There's also a PDF download on your phone if you want to, to look at those and read them later. It's, the Ascension is very crucial. So, when we don't pay enough attention to it, and, and if um, if our textbooks, 1,300 pages, only have two pages on the ascension, this is something we need to address. And do you know what that's good? That, there's a a, word, a term for that, actually. It's called ADD, Ascension Deficit Disorder. If you're taking notes, um, I would write that. that. That was good. I would uh, write that down. Ascension Deficit Disorder. So, um, to prevent Cornerstone Alliance from having Ascension Deficit Disorder, we are focusing on the Ascension uh, today. But it is uh, very crucial. Why is it so important uh, for us? You know, if you look at, um, where am I going here next? So there, there are so many, so many, um, benefits, so many, think of the bright word, you know, things, okay. Um, the Ascension is valuable to us every day. So for example, um, If Jesus had not ascended, um, he would not have sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is such a valuable gift to us. If Jesus had not ascended, we would still be looking for Jesus in flesh and blood and wanting to be, Well, I want to be in the same room as he is or I want to be beside him, but because he has ascended, he is the Lord of the universe, he is everywhere. And so that is such a great gift as well. Because Jesus uh, has ascended, there are so many wonderful aspects we have. um, We see that Jesus ascended in bodily form, and he returns in bodily form. We understand that there's good things about, about the body and about, um, form and, and physical. It's not, we don't separate that. We don't say one is better or the other it's a lot of good things about the ascension. But what I want to focus on today is this one. Because Jesus ascended his, um, he's been exalted to God's right hand and he has divine authority. In other words, he, he is the Lord. Whether you know it or not, it's not like he is our Lord or he is my Lord or he is your Lord. He's, he's the Lord of the universe. He just is. And so this is what is focused on over and over again in the scripture. So in, um, I love that when you guys use your phones and, and you, you Google things and, and it's, I love that people research all that and then tell us so I know, um, what you guys are Googling or what we are Googling because it, it tells us what we're thinking. And it gives, uh, every year Google comes out, we can, here's the top, you know, most researched items in Canada or in the world or in the West or, you know, for example. So Bible Gateway, many of us use Bible Gateway because all the, a lot of the major English translations are there and they're free. And so we can look at ESV, we can look at NIV and the King James and all sorts of things. But they, every year they come out with the most searched or the most popular Bible verse. You know, the most popular Bible verse is for us Canadians, according to BibleGateway.com. You looked up more. You highlighted, you you shared, and you searched um, Jeremiah twenty nine, verse eleven, more than any other verse. It's probably going to be in the top two or one or th- two or three every single year, anyways. Uh, it's on all our T-shirts and mugs, and, and every bookstore has stuff like that. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. But back in the first century, that was not the most popular verse. Do we know? You know that we know what was. We, we know what the most popular verse was in the first century. This is before the New Testament was formed. They Their Hebrew scriptures called the Old Testament. Most popular verse was Psalm 110 verse 1. And here's that verse. So, I mean, if they were creating mugs and t-shirts, this is sort of their verse. Psalm 110 verse 1 says this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This was the verse that they turned to over and over again. It is referred to Uh, In the New Testament, more often than any other Bible verse, it's used again and again over and over. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. you notice in Psalm, there's Lord with all capital letters, and then there's another Lord with small letters. The Lord, this is referring to um, like not someone's master, like a slave master. This is like, it's referring to God, to Yahweh. This is the Lord. So Yahweh says to my Lord, like my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So David was saying, um, God, Yahweh, says to my master, sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Why was this so important? Let's look at how Jesus used this verse. Let's look at how the early Christians used this verse. And maybe we can see how this might be important for us today. And in many ways, our culture is similar to the culture and society. I mean, in many ways, it's very different. But in the, in the sense that, um, culture at large was not in favor of maybe the same morals or same principles that were held by the early Christians. And they were a minority and they were misunderstood. And it was, um, the Roman Empire was really not in favor of their values. So there's many things that are very similar to today, probably in the West. And so how was this verse so important to them and so crucial to their faith? How did Jesus use this verse? How did the early Christians use this verse? And then let's see how maybe we should pay attention to the ascension a little more than maybe what we have. So that's where we're going at today. There are two times when Jesus used this. Matthew chapter 22 and verses 44 and 45. You may want, I don't think these are in your notes, so that was, this would be a good thing to, you know, to type on your thumbs or to write down. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Verses 44 to 45. And then again in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Here's Jesus using the verse. He says, he said to them, how is it then that David, okay, speaking by the spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, and here's quoting from Psalm 110, verse one, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here's the verse before you up on the screen? It jumped twice there. Okay. Oh, that's the verse, but with the wrong reference. Have you? There's lots of mistakes that I make, and one was it was not vital; it was idle. And like Pearl, thank you right away. It's like the first thing you said to me. That's a mistake. This was not the first thing you said to me. And here's another one, sorry, wrong reference, right verse, that's why it confused me. Matthew chapter um, 22 verses, uh, sorry, you know what it is. So what is it? 22 verse 44 to 45. Here's Jesus quoting Psalm chapter uh, 110 verse 1. So basically what he's saying here um, is that the son of David is it's not just a human, it's not just a person. There's something more. Um, and he's obviously referring to him. So if then David calls him Lord, how can he be uh, his son? It's not just a human. And then Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Jesus says this, you have said so, Jesus replied. But he's on trial at this time. He's about to be killed. He says, you have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Here's this verse. You, you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is announcing at his trial, where he's just about to be accused and killed, that he will be enthroned, and he will be beside the God of Israel. Right here, you might have a note if you're using um, if you're using um, one of the Bibles that has footnotes. Uh, what does the footnote say? It refers to an Old Testament passage. Does anybody see that? I'm not sure if the phone Bibles do that, but it's referring to, down at the bottom, to Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 13, where he says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. This is one way that Jesus was using this verse. So Daniel 7, you don't need to turn there right now, but you'll notice there's a lot of, I'm going to read it, a lot of similar, it just sounds like Revelation we talked about last year with apocalyptic imagery. And Daniel chapter 7 reads like this. He says, the first was like a lion um, is this vision and had the wings of an eagle, You know, I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. See, very fancy imagery, right? And he says, Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, and there before me, there's a second beast. There's four beasts that he describes. This one looked like a bear had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was said, get up and eat your fill of the flesh. And then there was another beast. And it was like a leopard, but it had four wings, like those of a bird and had four heads. But somehow it was like a leopard, and it was given authority uh, to rule. And then verse 7, he says, After that, in my vision, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled, trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. Very similar language to what we see in Revelation, right? And then he says, while I was thinking about the horns. There before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it, it had you know, eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Uh, this is the verse that Jesus is referring to, this chapter, Daniel chapter 7. As we read, you'll see this This interpretation is given to I love that when we read Revelation and, and Daniel and Ezekiel, and then an interpretation is given to us, right? Because then it's like, oh, we don't have to guess, or we don't have to search the scriptures to find it. This, the interpretation is given to us right here. Each beast actually represents a powerful empire of, that is oppressing Israel. But the scene changes. From these beasts coming out of the sea to the throne room of god you picture this throne room of god what does that might, might look like he says as i looked thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat the ancient of days took his so was referring to someone right the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was as white as snow the hair of his head was white like wool i wonder who that is right his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze a river of fire was flowing." coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. He says, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking at the beast, looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Then in parentheses it says, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority already but were allowed to live for a period of time. All these beasts representing these empires that were oppressing Israel, all these beasts were stripped of their authority. They no longer had control. And finally they were destroyed. And then we get to verse 13. And this is the one Jesus is referring to. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Jesus, right? Coming with the clouds of heaven. It sounds like Acts chapter 1, right? On the clouds of how He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The ascension is the fulfillment of what was talked about in Daniel chapter 7. What was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 was fulfilled in this ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's prophetic anticipation. And so Daniel 7, Jesus is referring to that. He said, this is what is happening. This is what will happen to me shortly. So what is uh, the ascension? ascension, it's um we talk about ascending. So what it means to like like go up, right? Or to to like change elevation, maybe and and um, all of us we walked up these stairs, and you know, I guess we could say, um, you know, Pastor Sam ascended to the platform. That sounds weird, it kind of sounds like elevating, right? We just he walked up the stairs. But it, it the word ascended, um, you know, Jesus ascended and then a cloud hit him from their sight, but like why did he do that? Like he could have, like, because remember he just disappears. There was room that was all locked, and all of a sudden, oh, Jesus is here after his resurrection. He could have just vanished, puff of smoke, and then it's gone. But he ascended. Why did he? Why did he do that? Why did he ascend? We don't really know. We can't judge his motives. But what we see from the Old Testament, but we see from how Jesus used. Psalm one ten verse one over and over again. We see that there's a like a, a, a coronation. So like when somebody ascends to the throne, we use the word then, right? You ascend to the throne, you become crowned, you become the the king or you become the queen. It's like an ascension. So if you can think of Jesus' ascension as a coronation, he is being crowned. He is the he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so like we, you you could. If there's a throne or something you could like go and sit on the throne, right? But you're not going to say, "Oh, look, Pastor Joel ascended to the throne." He's like sitting on the throne, but doesn't make me a king or whatever. But for Jesus, his ascension—this is what it's about—and we see this emphasized in Daniel and the prophecy and the way Jesus used it. He's—it's an ascension. He is the Lord. He's in the control room of the universe. He's—he's he's the Lord, all authority. All of those other beasts have been just like, this authority is stripped from him. If there's any authority in this universe, it's all with Jesus. This is the essential. He is the Lord. This is what we're talking about. So, how did the, this is how Jesus used this verse. How did the early Christians use this verse? There are three examples that we can look at. I'm pretty sure I got these references right. Acts chapter 2, verse 34 to 36, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 45, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. This is how they used this verse. Acts chapter 2, verses 34 to 35. For David, see, you, you see that verse already, right? The Lord David did not ascend to heaven. David didn't ascend. Jesus, David didn't. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all ears you be sure to this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 15 says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Using your enemies as a footstool. You ever use, keep your shoes on and the muddy use something as a footstool. Right? That's my enemies. First Corinthians chapter 15. Next is Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After the son, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. These early Christians, they are preaching, they're teaching, they're proclaiming that after Jesus' resurrection, he was seated beside God and is invested with divine authority, all authority. Jesus is raised to life to reign with god he is the king he's taken into heaven to take control of the universe we talk about this um sitting down i think it's hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 in the king james version it says but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of god so just um as an aside here theologically speaking Have you ever wondered, why is God always using his left hand? Because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. If you're taking notes, you should write that one down, too. Can you picture that, though? I mean, like, it's not, that's not how we're supposed to picture it. You know, God, Jesus, you're on my hand again. It's not literally sitting on the hand or the NIV and other trends at the right hand. It's not an actual hand. What are we talking about when we say the right hand of God? When Jesus, Jesus has been ascended. He's the Lord of the Lord, and I was sitting at the right hand of the majesty have. You know, there's that one song. What is it? It all bugs me. We got some good singing. Uh, there is no one beside. You always get it. Did we sing that today even? There's no one beside. How does that go? Where the? I don't want to put the dresser. Like, they were like... You guys know right? No, no one beside you. Help me. What is it? Because it really bugs me. Do you guys know it? Raise your hand if you know what song I'm talking about. There's no one like you. There's no one beside you. No, it's not beside. Like It's besides you. Should be what it is, right? Like What they're trying to say is there's no one else. There's no one besides you say, oh, picture. there's no one beside you, like he's in a room all on his own. Like, no, it's not beside you. But it doesn't sound nice to sing besides you. Right, so beside you. Anyways, we're not talking literally about the right hand of God or like literally right about, like the, right beside Jesus, okay? There's no one besides him. There's no one else. It's just one God, just the Lord. But what is this talking about, the right hand of God? Again, it just reinforces this idea that Jesus is Lord. You have these in your notes. It's not an actual place. It's not to be taken literally. It just means all might power. Almighty power of God, that's his right hand. Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, for example. Those, this is in your notes. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. So Jesus has been raised. He has been, he's ascended. He has been crowned as the king. And he's sitting right here where all the power, this powerful hand of God. Psalm 89 says, your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. There's also Deuteronomy 5.15, the right the, the right hand of the ruler in Old Testament times was um, the place of highest honor, and so this, this is all talking about uh, Jesus um, being ascending to be the Lord. It's not literally talking about elevation; it's talking about a coronation. Jesus is has been crowned. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All other authority has been destroyed. So he is the Lord. This is what the ascension means, this is what's so important to us because. Do you feel, um, that that's true? You can read it. With, oh yeah. yeah, Jesus is Lord. Yes, He's the Lord. Does it really feel like that's that's true? Like look around, read newspapers. Winnipeg, we have so many murders this year. Like what is happening? And the meth crisis, and it's awful. Really, is this what it looks like? You know, when when Jesus is the Lord, like I were the Lord, I wouldn't, you know, you could I could stop these things or. Some non Christians might be thinking, if you're really claiming that Jesus is the Lord, then look around. Well, you know what? If, if he's the Lord, then you can have it. Cause like, wait, wouldn't, might they not think that? Might, maybe you might think like, is that an all powerful, almighty God who's been resurrected and he's sitting at the right hand of God? This is, look around. It doesn't feel like he's the Lord, does it? But this is what was so important to the first century. Christians, people who are being murdered, who are being persecuted, who did not have full rights, legal rights or anything. This is the verse that they went to over and over again. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This was Jesus. They knew this was, he was the son of man. Jesus is the Lord. But funny, it doesn't feel like that, does it? Maybe even in your own life. Maybe you don't even have to read newspapers. You just say, yeah, doesn't feel like anyone's in control. Like Jesus is really is at the control room of the universe, and this is what it looks like. But this is truth. He is the Lord, and sometimes it's because we don't really understand what kind of and what the kingdom of God is like. It's the same with Jesus' disciples who followed him and walked like literally with him physically and ate with him and prayed with him. They didn't get it either. They were thinking it was some other kind of kingdom, right? So are you gonna are you gonna do this now? Are you gonna do this now? Is this what it's gonna be like? But they, it's not like you just make an order and someone has to do it. It's not that kind of a top down like what's the right word kingdom it's a different kind of kingdom and Jesus is in control He is the Lord. we don't always feel it. it has caused people to lose their faith, but the early church i mean it was so small and it it grew all across the Roman Empire into the ends, ends of all the way over here to the North. Like this is, this is key for us to understand Psalm one ten, verse one. This is what the early believers. So just leave that kind of in suspension for just a minute and look at Stephen's example. Acts chapter six. If there's anyone that would have thought I don't think Jesus is, is Lord, or he's not doing a good job, you know, being Lord, it would have been Stephen. Acts chapter seven. Stephen gives a speech, okay, to the leaders. And then in verse um, 54, we'll begin. Even even how he finishes speech, I mean, just before that, right? He says, you stiff-necked, stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. And then he's, you know, And then here's how they react. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, look what he did. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and what did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I mean, he died. And it says, and Saul approved of their killing. How how might that look today? Or or even to Stephen. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. I'm I'm just saying truth, preaching the gospel, letting people know who you are, Jesus. And then this is what happens. He responds. He looks up to heaven. This is something we can do. At least once a year on a you like, look up. Like, what do you see? Can you see Jesus in the control room of the universe? Do you recognize him as the Lord? Do you see? He's, he's actually in control. Whether you, if someone's stoning you or killing you or person. So I could see Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And because of that, he, he was able to. This is what gave him the strength. And a new kind of vision. Right? Often, like again, Revelation or Daniel—it's this kind of book that pulls up the curtain and we can see reality: what's really happening behind the scenes. And Stephen was able to to do that. And then he died. But how do you feel in your presence? Are you are you nervous about something? Do you feel? Yeah. I mean, God's not. We've got so many other worries. I don't think he's really worrying about this little thing, but it's big to me. So I'm just going to take. I mean, I could, I can relate if if you feel that way. Does it feel like God's in control? Do you even know that He is in control? And would it help if you were to look up to heaven and and see Jesus sitting like on the throne? And you know what? It's the Lord. He's not like sitting and go, oh darn, if that person gets elected, and then you know. And then he, cause he's got, you know, connections to this country. And then, oh no, domino effect. And, oh. He's never nervous. No matter who the, who is doing like whatever, it's not going to thwart his plans. But like, he's so powerful. He's actually in control. And so, change mics? No. shouldn't have stopped right now. Um, he's not nervous. It doesn't matter what, it, it doesn't mean we don't get involved. It doesn't mean we, we don't um, speak up. But it doesn't mean we don't have to about things that are going on in our own lives, in our country. Like, oh no, oh no, oh no. We, you know, now what's going to happen? Like, look up. Jesus isn't nervous. It doesn't matter what happens. He's going to make his plans happen. We're going to get to the end. We're going to win. Evil will be destroyed. So relax a little bit. Just chill a little bit. Maybe there are some things in your life you're thinking, oh, man, well, I hope my house sells. By the way, we've been praying for the dressers, for the overlist, you know, and they got a second offer just came in today. So she just told me that this morning. So um, Jesus is Lord. I don't know why I didn't sell last year, but he knows, right? It kind of sucks having two houses, not living in one of them. Um, Other things, you know, like parents. I'm a parent. Man, it's probably the hardest job in the world. At least for me, it has been. And for you know, we, we pray about this a lot. And kids make us nervous. But I don't think we should be parenting out of fear or because we're nervous or making decisions like Jesus is. He's in control. I'm not saying you just don't don't do anything. Not at all. We need to be involved as parents. But let's look. Jesus is is on the throne. And see. Let's just keep reading Peter Stephen's story here. Remember at the end, he died, and Saul approved of their killing him. And then what happens? It gets even worse. On that day, a great persecution broke out. This is chapter 8 against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Oh no, this is awful. Everyone's like running away or being scattered. Godly men buried Stephen uh, and mourned him before him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is, it just got worse. Like they just stoned Stephen and now Saul, see, now it's like every single person is being dragged out of their homes just because they have faith in Jesus Christ and being killed and persecuted. And everyone's scattering. But as a result of this, the, the gospel scattered and the gospel spread and the gospel went from Jerusalem and into Judea and to Samaria. See, Jesus is, is actually in the control room of the universe and he's not nervous, and he knows what he's doing, and he is the Lord, and then if you keep reading all these great stories, and you get up to chapter nine, and guess what happens there? Saul, who's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, goes to the high priest because he wants special permission um, to get uh, letters to the synagogues in Damascus, he's spreading out his evil work, So if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so he goes to Damascus, and then he has this miraculous conversion story, and Jesus meets him on the road, and Saul is converted, becomes the apostle, the missionary to the Gentiles, and is chosen by God to write most of our New Testament. And look how it began with Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, who is able to look and see Jesus is in the control room of the universe. He is the Lord. I mean, I I don't feel it right now. These stones hit me like I'm, I'm... because of that, Stephen was able to forgive. And maybe what Stephen didn't realize until later after his death that the gospel spread. And Saul became this amazing missionary to the Gentiles and the church spread. around. So I don't know what situation you're facing today. And I know things in our in our culture, in our society, in our country, they, they always make us nervous. Maybe it's okay, but maybe it's not okay. Maybe we just need to chill. You know, like. God's in control. Jesus is the Lord. This is this is what it's meant—the ascension. Maybe even the way certain people are, are. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't really like how they interpret the scripture, and it gets me all nervous. Or I don't like how, um, well, how my things in my own family or relationships with, with siblings or. We don't just give up. God's at work. He's in control. Let's find out where he's working and join him. But let's, let's chill a little bit and, and focus on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is there something in your life right now that just, or, like, or like, not in your stomach? Are you able to, just as you focus on it, like, to look up and, and see Jesus is in control? I mean, I don't know how, but he is. And we've got proof in scripture that Jesus has got this. Are you able to do that? In, Maybe somewhere, or maybe right now your, your life is perfect and you don't have any. That's, that's awesome. Um, but it's not going to always be that way. Sometime soon, someone's going to make you really nervous. And so let's focus on this. Remember, this for future, Jesus is the Lord. Or maybe right now, you just need that message that Jesus is the Lord. He's ascended to the throne. He is crowned. And we're in this in between time. Victory, victory is here. And someday it will come completely. But we can celebrate the partial victories right now. So, this is about the ascension of people. If he just resurrected Res, Lazarus, resurrected, but didn't ascend, and still we'd be like, I want to be in the same room as him. he's everywhere, whole room of the universe. Let's just praise that. Let's name it, Jesus. You are the Lord, right? At Easter we say uh, he is risen, and you reply. What do we do at Ascension? He is ascended. Why not? Let's make up a new tradition here. He is ascended. Right? He's the Lord. Let me pray for you. And then Jeff and Pearl come on up and lead us in our last song. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the Lord. And I know that we don't always feel that. But that's okay. Lord, will you come and inhabit our lives more fully? Bring your Lordship into our lives. And I know sometimes we don't feel it because actually we aren't. Doing, we're not following you as the Lord. Like we're our own lords, you know. But so I, we're sorry for that. We apologize for that. We give our lives to you, and Lord, take over the Lord of our lives. But at the same time, right now, give us a vision of, of like you. What are you doing right now? You're praying. For us. You're interceding for us. You're in control. May that truth seep right into the whole of our being. Lord, may that be evidence in our lives and how we treat our coworkers, how we treat our family, how we do everything, you are the Lord.